Hi, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. So we're finally getting around to this Letters from Paul series. And I've been excited about it for a long time because uh, there's, I think, a lot we can learn from the heart of Paul as a leader, especially in this time that we find ourselves in the world. And so we're going to be, today we're going to be going through a bit of an introduction, and I want to give you a framework uh, for how we're going to kind of approach each book, because each week we're not going to go super in-depth to each book. Rather, we're going kind of a book a week so that we can see what's consistent between all of them. And chiefly, that's the fact that Paul wrote them. Uh, and I'm, I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that the gospel was best communicated through a series of letters by a broken pastor, leader, apostle guy, uh, just right in his heart to a bunch of churches going through stuff. And have you ever stopped to think about how that's actually a not a the most logical way that I would want to write the New Testament if I was God trying to get across the things I needed to we needed to believe and know or I don't know, I think I would have just wrote it down. But instead, it's like, nope, here is some letters from a guy right into the churches that he loves. And that's that's what all the letters are <laughs> from Paul. And it's where we get most of our theology uh, in the New Testament of how to be Christians and how to make disciples and how to advance the kingdom. And so they're all through these letters. And I wonder what God would want to teach us. So today, we're going to go through a couple of principles that are consistent uh, throughout Paul's letters. And they're about, they're about his heart and they're about what he believes and the way that he chooses to communicate. And my prayer is that what we're going to glean from that is, uh, well, my prayer for us very specifically is that we'll see how our humanity, our brokenness, and our situations that all seem kind of inconvenient are actually not even just helpful, but necessary in us conveying the gospel and knowing it, like in our hearts. So that's my prayer. So to get us started, we need to understand this idea of an occasion. Now, almost without exception, Paul is writing to some kind of occasion in a church. Now, this could be a relational discord, or they're confused about something, or there's an issue with some leader, or maybe maybe things are going really well and Paul's addressing that. But almost without exception, Paul is writing a letter to a circumstance to address something specific in the real world. Now, <clears throat> what I find interesting about this is that it seems as though the gospel is actually best understood and delivered through the messiness of real world relationships and circumstances. And I find this, this can be actually awkward for me where uh, left to my own devices, I kind of prefer there to be like my belief set over here the things that I know to be true and the Bible verses that I love and sort of the the ideas and concepts that the Bible espouses. And then my job is to kind of take those uh, cold values and apply them to my real life. Like, oh yeah, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't lie. And so I'm going to try not to lie. And then I, I'm trying to constantly be this bridge between what my spiritual understanding and then, of course, the day in, day out. That's just kind of frustrating that I wish didn't exist. And I'm trying to ping pong back and forth between the two. But I, I, I really like the fact that Paul, it's all sort of meshed together for him. And scripture isn't an Easter egg hunt for, uh, for, ideas 
and things to go do, or just the, the fancy term is propositional truths. Like, tell me what the things, tell me what the nine things are I need to believe and do. Uh, it really isn't that. And if you think it's that, the Bible becomes very frustrating to you because the Old Testament is just a bunch of stories. Uh, the analogy that we like to use is that it's just basically like grandma pulled out her family photo album and is just walking you through the stories you've heard a million times. It's like, why would, you know, why would, why would God choose to reveal himself that way? And then the New Testament always, there's not just one place to go for like, this is what to believe and this is what to do. It's, it's, it's in the mess of these churches and Paul writing to specific people about his own heart and why is it this way? And uh, sometimes I treat the Bible as a bit of an Easter egg hunt, you know, looking for this, what are the, what are the things I need to know? Instead of, it being a, instead of it being something else. And Jesus, of course, is the most frustrating <laughs> in this capacity where he's speaking in parables, which are almost riddles. Uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is talking about the kingdom of God in terms of this like, blessed are the, we blessed are the meek and the humble and the persecuted. And it's just like, just say it. Like, just tell me what I need to believe. <laughs> so it would seem as though scripture and Jesus have a uh, different agenda or objective than us understanding something or us knowing what the 10 things to do are. It seems as though there's a deeper objective of, of us trusting and knowing God uh, above all else. Um, uh, Jesus says it well here in John, uh, John chapter five, verse, uh, verse 39 says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So this is the idea that we're working with here <clears throat> is that there's this idea of an occasion and when we, have an, when we have a circumstance that we don't understand or frustrating us and we want to fix, we start combing through the Bible looking for what to do. And instead, Jesus would say, it's me. Like, invite me into that place. So maybe that kind of sounds like, you know, Christian and cliche. But my hope today is that that seemingly cliche sounding thing of like, just invite Jesus there would become more... Uh, uh, encouraging to you and it would be deeply practical actually because I think it really is the point. So here's a kind of way to sum up what I'm talking about is that uh, if you're on a hunt for propositional truths that you can just understand and know, which aren't was it which isn't a bad thing, the question you're kind of asking is, tell me what to do and what to believe. You know, not a bad question. But I think a more helpful gospel question, if we want to know gospel truth, it's asking um, where is Jesus here? If you look at your occasion, you're trying to find where, where Jesus is. Uh, in Romans, well, Paul says it this way. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God, uh, Christ does not belong to him. And so it's this idea that the spirit actually dwells in us and Jesus wants to be at the center of everything. He doesn't want us to take spirituality and then apply it to real life. He wants to be with us. The fancy word is incarnational. Isn't it, isn't it wild that God like became a man at all? That he would actually involve himself in an occasion called, you know, his life of the best way that I can, the best way that I can convey the gospel is by actually being in the world, like entering into it. So why would that be any different for us? It's a pretty good question. So, Second thing that is important to know 
as we unpack this series is that Paul is constantly trying to convey this idea, and we've said this before in church, is that truth is a person. Truth is not a set of ideas. Truth is someone you can know. Now, maybe that just sounds kind of, you know, cute to you, uh, but it's actually the most practical thing ever in my life is that truth is not found in a set of propositions so much as it's found in a personal relationship with a living God who dwells in you. <laughs> That's the gospel. So I want to, uh, I want to draw you guys just a quick diagram because it was helpful for me. And, uh, and uh, let's take this idea that we have uh, on occasion. So this is some kind of circumstance that you find yourself in. Maybe it's a relationship, um, uh, something you don't, something that, some kind of discord, uh, something you don't understand or that you want to fix or um, there doesn't seem to be much life there, some kind of circumstance. And then over here, we've got our list of propositional truths, you know? And these are things that we know and believe and are really helpful. And then our job, maybe I'll use a different color, our job is to apply. <laughs> we must, now we, might, we now apply the truths based on our own um, ability to take the truths and make them, you know, hash them out into reality. Here's what I think a, a, better, uh, a better way of looking at it is. So here we've got another occasion, same occasion, I should say. And then let's go with this idea that truth is a person. So I'm gonna draw a person. This is Jesus. <laughs> if truth is a person, as opposed to just like a cold set of circumstances, uh, of, of propositions, then what does this arrow become? It's not so much application. That'd be a bizarre word to use for that new arrow. It would be more like invitation. So a person wants to be invited into your occasion. Uh, cold ideas want to be applied or they don't want anything because they're not personal. <laughs> so that was kind of a helpful way that I was thinking this through of, uh, of going, what is my when presented with an occasion, like Paul was all the time in all these churches, he's constantly trying to figure out how to get that church to invite Jesus to be the answer to it, uh, to invite him to be the center. Paul says the word like be in Christ over and over and over again as this big catch-all. He talks a ton about our identity being in Christ and that somehow him entering in, like our identity being having a new spirit and being transformed somehow changes every possible circumstance and, and bears all the kinds of fruit we were hoping for with Jesus at the center. So invitation is a better word. So keep that word in mind. Uh, the best example that I could use uh, or, or that I could think of is one that I've used just hundreds, hundreds of times in so many sermons, especially as a youth pastor, because it was so helpful to try to explain this concept. So I'll use it here again. And uh, I remember when I was a teenager, uh, my mom would always try to get me to do the dishes uh, you know, like moms do for teenage boys. And uh, they, they, she, she always did this thing where she wanted me to do it without asking. And that drove me nuts. Because if she asked me to do it, I would always do it. And I would want to know, basically what, what my mind was like, is like, how many times do I need to do this per week to keep you off my back? Right? So I'm combing through the Easter egg hunt of the Bible, you know, that is our family code going, okay, how, where, how many times is it? How many times? How many times do I have to do the dishes? And I'm looking for a cold rule to follow to fix my discord with mom. <laughs> and I'll never forget this one time where we went through an altercation and she just started to cry, which isn't all that surprising. But 
she started to cry and said, I wish you would just do it because you loved me. And now it made sense why she wanted me to do it without asking because she wanted my motivation for doing the dishes to be a love for her as opposed to applying some kind of rule. And this is very important that uh, in order to have a new motivation, I actually needed a new heart. And I needed a, I needed someone to help me transform my, my desires and motivation from being just selfish and wanting to fix my world to being motivated by a heart of love. So I needed a new spirit. And then maybe, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but all of a sudden this idea of truth being a person, Jesus, who wants to lead us in a new way of life with a new motivation of being like, we get to love because he first loved us. Like totally, our, our motivations are totally transformed. Um, inviting him to transform our motivations from the inside out, like following someone new, having a new spirit is actually deeply practical. And we stop looking for the rules so much as wondering what Jesus is doing in a moment. So maybe that's helpful for you. Uh, so a question I would have for you then is like, it, does is love your reason to do or not do things? And I, and I think that's what Jesus would long to do in our hearts is give us a whole new motivation. So uh, Paul, in all of his letters, one of his primary concerns, and this is kind of the third thing we need to know about all these books, is that our human relationships, uh, Paul's primary concern is that our human relationships are a reflection of our, of our identity in Christ. All that's going on, like, you know, me and my mom not having a great relationship over the chores is actually a reflection of my heart being transformed or not. And so here's, here's what I get worried about, guys, and try to stay with me on this because it's, uh, it's really important. I usually think that my biggest concern is my relationships and my circumstances. My primary job is to fix all that's going on in my world. I need a better job or I need a better relationship over here. I need a better circumstance over here or... And my primary goal is to go, I've got to fix all that stuff. I've got to attain some kind of purpose and value. Um, and so then what we do is we go, okay, God, uh, you've got this Bible here. It seems to have great ideas in it. And so can you please help me fix all of my, you know, can you please, can you please um, uh, help me fix all of my relationships and all of my problems? And there's a certain element of that's true. God does. But maybe a better way of looking at it is that needs to be flipped. What if, what if the way our life is going is actually a reflection of how we're doing with God? What if our, uh, yeah, what if our circumstances and relationships are the most important thing that points, uh, are the most helpful thing that points to the most important thing, which is, are you reconciled to God? Has he transformed your heart? Has he given you a heart of flesh? Um, yeah, do you know him? Are you following him? Are you a disciple? Do you know God? So I, hopefully that's not confusing, but there, there actually is a big difference between whether we're looking around going, God, I really need you to help me with all this stuff. Or we look around going, this is all a very helpful indicator for how you and I are doing. So Paul's trying to address all of these um, 
all of these churches with all these various problems. And he's desperately trying to say, look, how it's going for you is a sign of how much uh, Jesus is leading or not. Uh, and he just goes through a bunch of examples. Like in Romans, they're saying, you know, is it, is it about the law? Can we still fulfill the law? And he's like, it, it's about your faith in, in Christ. Like your faith is what makes you well. Like focus on him. And then in, in, in Ephesians, there are all these questions about morality. It's like, what are we allowed to do and not do? And he's like, be faithful to God. <laughs> like don't, don't wonder uh, how all this morality stuff works. Like be faithful to the one who made you. Like that's a that's an identity issue between you and God. Uh, in uh, in Corinthians, people are having all these authority problems. It's like, Paul, why do you get to tell us what to do? And he's like, I, uh, my, I boast in my weakness. Like Christ has the ultimate authority. And so your issues with me being in charge is actually an issue with you being like, you don't think Christ is in charge. Like he's constantly trying to take our issues and the church's issues and go, what are you believing about God? What don't you know, understand about him yet? Where does he need to be invited in? Uh, in Colossians 3, uh, 9 to 12, it's kind of a good, a good way of summing this idea up. It says this, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So do not lie to each other. That's a, just a good you know, thing to remember and a good truth to apply. But here, listen to the difference. It says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Like we're being made like Christ. Here, there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The idea being that uh, he wants to make you new. And he needs to be invited to be the center of your life for you to be new. Uh, so here's where things kind of get interesting for me. Is we now <laughs> have to somehow convey, like we've been, we've been commissioned as the church to convey to the world that Jesus is trying to love and lead our life from the very center of it. He's trying to change us from the inside out. He's not trying to mitigate a bunch of problems. He's trying to become the primary affection of our hearts. He's trying to become the center of all that we are because he knows that's where our ultimate source of security is going to come from. That's where we're going to find our most purpose and our most value because he gets to say who we are. And we now have to somehow convey this to the rest of the world. And this is why I think that uh, the Holy Spirit chose to use Paul, as a person, uh, in conveying the gospel. The Holy Spirit didn't skip some guy's <laughs> attempts to love and lead other Christians. In fact, it was the best vehicle for conveying this idea that Jesus wants our affection and he wants our heart. And I think, it, I think that's good because I'm not sure that we could ever just read something and know that there's an element to it being conveyed to us through someone else's life that I think is inextricable from the message. So I'm going to say something and I'll try to unpack it. The idea here is that propositions and, you know, cold ideas and truths get lost in translation. And, uh, man, 
in Judaism, there's just like books on books on books on books trying to understand the law and get to the even more minute details on how this works and that works. And uh, throughout the process of trying to understand something in its in, in, in the almost the coldness of it, something gets lost in that translation. Of just trying to like, what do I need to know? And what is the real thing? And what's really going on? And like, just tell me the, tell me the details. And something gets lost in that. But personhood, like the spirit coming alive in scripture, uh, personhood is best conveyed through translation. Uh, you're introduced to someone by someone else. And now the messiness of all these circumstances and stories about people of names I can't pronounce. Like there's a, the, uh, God is trying to convey his personhood through people, through their, their, through them walking with him and choosing him and loving him and then betraying him and then his grace and his mercy. And we're still continuing that same mode of having, of bringing the kingdom to this world through the messiness of that, you and me being the church, we're still part of this story. The Holy Spirit is still entrusting the message of the gospel to you and I in the way that we live our life. And so Paul becomes a great example for us in this. Uh, maybe you guys noticed this in this last week of just hearing all these people's testimonies. And you can tell the difference in someone like me standing here in front of this podium being like, this is who Jesus is. But you can tell the difference between that and someone on their social media like this going, Jesus changed my life. <laughs> it's so much more powerful. Uh, there's something about somebody's testimony that conveys the gospel better than anything else. So, uh, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but isn't it wild to me? Isn't it wild to you that Jesus didn't write anything down? And he just entrusted the gospel to 12 hearts who knew him. He, he entrusted the message for the world, the saving message of the world to 12 people who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was good and, that, and who knew him and had a relationship with him. And now that's enough. That's enough. I'm going to entrust it to 12 hearts that know me instead of writing it all down. And I think Paul does a very good job of operating in the same vein of going, I, I, my love for Jesus is important to you, church in Corinth. Um, I, I know Jesus, Paul speaking. I know Jesus. And now watch me know him. Watch me bring him into the center of everything. Watch me not get flattered and confused by all that's going on in the world. Watch, watch me know him. What an amazing leader. Uh, in Thessalonians, there's a good little chunk here that kind of sums this up well. So let me read it. Uh, Paul says this in Thess uh, to the church in, in Thessalonica. He says, um, uh, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And this is discipleship. Um, 
we, you know, Tara said it earlier that we're a church who cares about multiplying disciples. And Jesus told us to go make disciples personally. And I love that this is the plan. I love that uh, the call is to is to take up this personal this personal calling to be the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit by the way that we live our lives. It's just the best evidence of it. And Paul Paul says somewhere, I think it's in Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not afraid. He's not afraid in his discipleship of people to go, no, come with me. Like I'm trying to introduce you to someone. Watch me, watch me wrestle this through. Watch me not be afraid of all these circumstances. And um, uh, this is huge. So just keep reading here. And in, in, in verse nine, it keeps going. It says, surely you remember brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be burdened, to, to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and in his glory. So just Paul does not seem afraid. There's a few things he doesn't seem afraid of. One, he doesn't seem afraid of being an example at all. Like, no, I know God. And he doesn't seem afraid of getting into the mess of it. Of, of getting into the mess of things with people. And this is the sad part about the cold truths is they create an arm's length distance between us and the people we're trying to introduce to Jesus. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think people are or should be impressed by our moral virtues and our uh, pithy sayings about a way to live a holy life. Uh, instead, discipleship is much more hands-on than that. And it's much more integrated and messy than that. It says, come follow me as I follow Christ. Watch me work out my relationship and trust of a person. Watch me follow a person. That's evangelism. That's discipleship. Because we're not trying to get people to just believe something. We're trying to introduce them to their father who loves them. And so Paul's saying, I came to you as a father. like a, And I loved you like a child because I'm trying to show you that Jesus loves you like a like a child. I'm trying to show you that that there's something about my heart for you that that God's trying to show you his heart through mine for you. I don't know if that sentence makes any sense, but I feel like Jesus is the Holy Spirit is saying I'm going to use your transformed hearts, church, to convey mine. And in that it transforms us. What a what a beautiful plan. And the the rub really comes here for me, though, guys, is that the other thing Paul's not afraid of is he's not afraid of how much this costs him. Everything I just said is a lovely idea. Yeah, let's get into the mess of it with people, you know? Let's, in, let's introduce Jesus as a person to, to people over a long period of time <laughs> with tons of pain and heartache. You can see Paul's heart breaking. He says here in this verse, you know, Remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship, we work day and night not to be a burden to anyone. Like, they, there was a huge cost to Paul's um, uh, explanation of the gospel through his life. 
Perhaps you've had someone convey the love of Jesus through the way they've loved you. And it's probably discipled you like nothing else has. Because it's given you a window. And you look at that person and go, you're not just believing some truths. Like you are following someone into a lifestyle. Your heart's changed. Tell me about why you would do that. Now that person's being discipled because they're being introduced to the person of Christ through somebody else's example. And so discipleship is costly, everybody. Maybe you've noticed this if you've been trying. And I have to wrestle through this of of making this the plan for our church, actually. (laughs) I didn't make it the plan for our church. Jesus made it the plan for our church. So why is this good news? Why does Jesus refuse to skip us in, in, in the advancement of the gospel? Why does he need us? Why does he need you, me, and Paul? <laughs> well, in Philippians, we're kind of bouncing around all through Paul's letters, but it's the introduction. Philippians, it says this, 3 verse 8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So here's the here's an interesting thing is uh, in many ways, this sermon is so useless. <laughs> I basically just explained the problem of what it's of what it would take to be a church that could multiply itself. All I did was explain a problem. Uh, what will change our city and what will what will have Jesus become the center of our society more and more like our hearts long for is us considering everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And I think the Holy Spirit has done us a wonderful favor in not skipping us and conveying his heart to the rest of the world because he knows it will cost us. And it will, he, the Holy Spirit knows that it will teach us about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as we go and make disciples ourselves. And my prayer for us is that we unpack, as we unpack all these letters from Paul, that we'll see his willingness to engage in the messiness of the real world and we'll, and we'll watch someone's heart be put on display uh, in, a, in a fearless way that, that, that speaks of the gospel like just words can't. And my prayer is that it will encourage you to go, I could do that. I could, I could live in the messiness with people. I could, I could get my hands dirty, so to speak, in uh, bringing the truth and personhood of Jesus into real life circumstance and praying this prayer over and over again. It's like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you here? Where are you here? And my prayer is that you will find him. And that is the beauty of the whole thing is we get to know him because we'll see him there and we'll see him there. So, church, let's be a let's be a church that makes disciples. Both because I think it's the best plan for this world to know Jesus, and also because it's the most fruitful thing in our own hearts to see him in all of these circumstances as we make disciples who love God and one another in the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are so kind that you don't skip us. I thank you for Paul's example of someone who just loved the church 
and loved the people around him. And the gospel poured out of his heart. So Father, would you transform our hearts and our minds over the course of this series? And would you, te- would you show us through all of these occasions how you are the center, how you can always be found, and how you always bring life, not despite calamity, but, th- but in it and through it. Thank you for your incarnational spirit that just is so present with us, that you're God with us. Would you meet us as we worship? In Jesus' name, amen.